are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans to discuss the Pelicans' biggest win of the season as New Orleans rallies from down 20 at halftime to beat the LA Lakers in a game with playoff implications and storylines galore. Then we chat with Wes Goldberg from Locked On Heat to discuss the heated courtside argument between Jimmy Butler and head coach Eric Spolstra, how Butler has responded since that moment, and why the Heat are struggling with their late-game execution. And lastly, we'll be joined by Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns to discuss Chris Paul's return to the Suns lineup, taking care of business against the opposing conference number one seed Sixers, and why Devin Booker isn't getting more credit for the Suns' success. But first, always got to say, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Also, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Joining us now is Jake Madison from Locked On Pelicans and Locked On NBA. You can follow on Twitter at Nola Jake. Jake, what a win for the New Orleans Pelicans. The biggest, the biggest one of the season. I, I mean, I right, no argument from you there, right? This is that has to be the biggest win of the season for the like implications in the standings in the Western Conference against the LA Lakers, the tiebreaker over LA now, the sole possession of the ninth seed, all of the above, and not even that, also the implications regarding the pick that is owed to the New Orleans Pelicans by way of LA, right? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, if you didn't mention, right, like you can't overstate how important this game was for both the Lakers and the Pelicans, but there's probably a little bit more at stake for New Orleans. And look, they got off to a rough start. You know, again, as you, you said, you could get the ninth seed here. You get the tiebreaker over the Lakers. And then if the Lakers and their pick falls into the top 10, the Pelicans get it. So there exists like a very real, very strong best case scenario for New Orleans. And they start terribly down 23 at halftime. I think they were down like 12 to zero to start the game and then just kept coming back and whittling down the Los Angeles Lakers till they were able to kind of get that win. And you saw the Lakers kind of regress to the mean a little bit in this game. LeBron came out shooting really, really hot and then he kind of cooled off. They started to really stagnate and play some really bad isolation offense. New Orleans just kept chipping away. And by the time they took that lead, it didn't seem like they were going to relinquish that. So now they're in ninth. The Lakers are in 10th and only a game above the San Antonio Spurs, so they have them breathing down there next too. And then it looks like right now, with the home playing tournament game that New Orleans gets, they'd play the Lakers. If you win that one, you knock them out, they go to the lottery, and if ping pong balls bounce your way, all of a sudden you're also potentially looking at another top four pick headed to New Orleans. So many different implications from this game. And again, this it, there was so much weight kind of riding on this one. And to come back to rally from down 20 at the halftime and just do it, like you said, by just kind of chipping away as the game went along. But the two two guys that I feel like we have to shine a spotlight here on, the, the rookies for New Orleans, Trey Murphy, yeah. all 21 of his points in the second half, 16 in the third quarter. That He's a guy who was absolutely on fire. And then also Herb Jones, who had a very like solid 16 points and then a career high six steals playing some really impressive defense in this game. 
Yeah, you know, it was Trey Murphy who was the spark and the hero for New Orleans. Again, they were down 20 at halftime, right? And they still weren't able to really get a foothold in this game till he grabs an offensive rebound, goes up for the putback dunk, throws it down, and got a very weak technical called against him from taunting for simply looking, and I forget which player it was, might have been Malik Monk that he dunked over. They just called a technical on him after like two seconds for no real reason, and that just woke the team up. It kind of give they gave them a little bit of like an FU attitude and kind of galvanize them and you started to see them step up their level of defense and that's then added with Herb Jones who's been good at this all year long the 35th overall pick in the draft he's been a bit of a revelation I think all year I don't know if he'll end up on an all defensive team but he's going to get some consideration for it LeBron who'd scored 25 points in the first half was unable to get almost any separation from Herb Jones. Herb was at one, on one possession in the third quarter, basically attached to him. LeBron kept calling for screens, trying to force a switch to get Herb Jones off of him. And Herb is just fighting through these, both like on his left side and his right side. And it ended up being a turnover for the Lakers, which led to a fast break point for New Orleans. That type of energy and those rookies stepping up and head coach Willie Green trusting those guys in the biggest moment in the biggest game of the season really kind of says a lot about what they've built here in New Orleans. The record might not show it. They're still under 500 by a good bit, but it seems there's at least a solid foundation built. And those two rookies are going to be a big part of that going forward. Yeah, speaking of of the defense, specifically on LeBron James, I, you know, LeBron did have, a, you know, a huge, a monster 39-point evening. But like you said, he just kind of cooled off as the game went along. And credit where credit's due, New Orleans defense did a good job on him. And specifically in that fourth quarter, he was just two of eight. He finished with his 39 points somewhere near the top of the fourth quarter, went scoreless the rest of the game, just, you know, completely... I don't even know if you can call it regressing to the mean at that point, just just struggling really to close out this game. But another one from from this game, Brandon Ingram's return to the lineup in this one. Ingram walking away with a team high 26 points, 10 of 17 shooting. How impressed were you in his return to the lineup? You know, he he's the type of guy that doesn't do well unless he's 100%. And I think he tried to rush back from this hamstring, which you don't want to retweak, right? And then lose him for the final eight games or so because he understood how big of a moment this was. And coming out of the gate, he looked a little bit off. But as the game kind of went on and in the second half, I think he had 16 points in the second half, he really started to get to his spots and realize no one on the Lakers was going to be able to defend him. And he loves that mid-range shot. So he realized he could get there every single time so while Trey Murphy really stepped up some of the scoring Valanciunas did really well in the second half you had Brandon Ingram basically be the killer for this team go out hit those mid-range jumpers that knew that the Lakers had no answer for so anytime LA was trying to kind of get back in this one they got the ball to Brandon Ingram and he closed this one out coming off of that injury where he hasn't played in eight games or so a really good night for him and bodes well for New Orleans down the stretch and then not only do we have this really impressive win to talk about from the New Orleans side of things, but Jose Alvarado, who I think is one of the best stories in the NBA, getting a four-year deal not long after this game was concluded. Just how exciting it, how is that? And, and also, can you shed a little bit of light on what I think is one of the greatest nicknames in the NBA is Grand Theft Alvarado? 
that's a new one too. That's only come up in the past game or two, but I love it. It flows really well, right? And he, he's been enjoying that too. He got the Lou Dort special more or less, right? It's an undrafted guy who was coming in and well outplaying the expectations for him. So you've got to try and lock him in long-term. And when you look at it with him and Herb Jones, it's two guys that they're not even going to be paying $4 million the next two seasons combined each year. That's huge, I think, for the Pelicans. He's a good backup point guard. He's got limitations. He's undersized, but he's a pest on defense. I think a lot of people finally keyed in on where he kind of hides in the corner and on an inbound goes, runs and tries to get the ball. And if he doesn't get the steal, he might spook you. It made Alex Caruso of the Bulls travel the other day. It's pretty fun to watch. Just a great story. You know, a four-year starter over at Georgia Tech, a guy that really had no expectations and probably shouldn't succeed in the league to a certain degree getting a bit of a bag his teammates are so happy for him all of those guys after this win were out on the court dancing celebrating there's a lot of team chemistry here there's like genuine just good vibes emanating from the pelicans locker room right now great to see a guy like that get paid he's a fan favorite i think he's going to be a league favorite soon enough and grand theft alvarado is such a good name given what he does and I think this is exactly kind of the the way that you would want to see this New Orleans team progress given the situation and, and everything that's gone on this season with Zion Williamson to show him, hey, this is a team that it, look at what we're doing without you. Now imagine rolling him back into this lineup and just think about the success that this team could be, you know, could could be poised for next season, right? Yeah, you, you nailed it. The, the biggest thing of getting him back from Portland was not that he's potentially going to play this year. And I think that's still 98%, 99% that that's not going to happen. But it was just getting him around this team. Look, there there is definitely some iciness between him and his camp in this franchise. But you see how much fun these players are having. You've seen some of the highlights from them. And look at Zion's reaction on the sideline. He is blown away by all of this he's getting into the moment and getting up and dancing with these guys being excited so if there's ever a way to kind of melt some of that iciness it's how much fun this group is having together the most important thing i think for new orleans long term was yeah win some games try and get into the playing tournament but if you can change zion's mind a little bit about how he feels that's going to go a long way towards building that bright future they hope to have here now jake i know there's no you know, love lost between New Orleans Pelicans fans and Anthony Davis. So in in two potential scenarios here, either A, the Pelicans possibly eliminating the Lakers in the play-in tournament, or B, the Lakers just not making the play-in whatsoever, which one would you, you know, take a little bit more a little bit more joy out of? You know, oh boy, yeah, that's that's a tough one, right? The lottery odds would be a little bit better if they don't make the play in whatsoever. So it improves the chances of the Lakers getting a top ten or getting a top ten pick, which would then go to New Orleans. But the fans would absolutely give up that extra two percent, probably whatever it is, to try and beat Anthony Davis and probably just scream at him the entirety of that game. That's all, folks. Joel Myers, the Pelicans play-by-play guy, got a shot in on that on the broadcast tonight too. There's no love lost there whatsoever. I think Pelicans fans would rather eliminate the Lakers and send them home. Will the Pelicans be the team to eliminate LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the LA Lakers? Stay tuned. All of that, it's coming up. I mean, playoffs are right around the corner, and you're going to have us covered for all of that and more Pelicans news and info over at Locked On. Pelicans, Jake, appreciate you always, always stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Jackson. 
coming up, what's going on in South Beach as Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra, and the Miami Heat are facing a four-game losing streak, including a courtside meltdown in last week's matchup against the Golden State Warriors. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, when it comes to protein bars, you've got to check out Built Bar. They are the number one protein bar on the market. They're so delicious, so good. I mean, every single bar coated in 100% delicious chocolate. And the best thing about these bars, right, they're not gritty, they're not chalky. They are basically candy bars that are jam-packed with protein. Every bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Amazing if you're on a keto diet. Amazing if you're trying to cut back, lose a little bit of weight. And the flavors. It's got so many great flavors that you can pick from. Strawberry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter, salted caramel. My personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. You can't go wrong with a single flavor on their menu. And you can check them out. Just go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best-tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA, as always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, be sure to check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Heat and one of the hosts of the Locked On NBA podcast, Wes Goldberg. You can follow on Twitter at WC Goldberg. Wes, uh, the Miami Heat kind of going through a bit of a skid right now after losing to the Sixers with with no James Harden, no Joel Embiid. Follow that up with a loss against the War- Warriors who were without Steph, Clay, Dre. But before that loss was final, Jimmy Butler getting into it with Coach Eric Spolstra, Udonis Haslam, a huge blow up on the Miami Heat bench. It just people having to come in and separate each other, separate the guys. What was the reaction like to this spirited debate, for lack of better terms, from the Miami players and coaches? Well, so the response from players and coaches, at least to us in the media, was business as usual, right? They just said, you know what, when you're a group of competitive kind of guys, that's just the sort of thing that's going to spill over in the middle of a, uh, a competitive game where you're getting your butt kicked because they were, right? They were in the middle of a 13-0 run. The Warriors were in the middle of a 13-0 run when that had to happen. But um, I, I don't know how much I buy that, honestly. I think that it was a little bit of the frustrations of having lost a couple games in a row, like you mentioned, that you shouldn't have lost, quite frankly. When you're the number one team in the East, those are games that you shouldn't be losing. And... I, I, it's not just that they lost the games. It's it's the manner in which that they were playing. And they had not been playing up to par. And they knew that. And the genesis of that kerfuffle uh, on the sideline, let's call it, was that Jimmy Butler was called out. Because Jimmy Butler should have been doing more. Jimmy Butler is their best player. They were playing teams without their best players. And in those moments, you just expect your best player to just kind of step up and take over and just sort of win you a game. And he wasn't doing that. And he was, and Eric Spolster called him out on the sideline for that. And I think Eric, and I think Jimmy Butler got a little defensive when that happened. And then that's why you saw the frustrations boil over that the, the way that they did because, well, there was some truth to that, right? And I think if you or me were to get called out by a significant other or a good friend by something that you and I knew that we did wrong, I think our first response would be to get a little defensive too, right? So I think it was just human nature. But um, it's certainly true. You just see in these four straight losses that they've suffered now. Not only are they sliding down the standings in the Eastern Conference, but they're just not playing. This isn't just like shots not going in, Jackson. This is just not playing the way that they had been playing for, well, really most of the season so far. And it's it's a little confounding. On an individual level, 
obviously the the four game losing streak not great uh, you know at that level but just on an individual level how does it appear that Jimmy Butler has responded to this incident well it's that's a good question because once that uh thing ha- once the argument happened on the sideline Jimmy Butler took two shots in the entire game after that so not well based on that game but then he comes out against the Knicks a night later and drops 30 on the Knicks that was a loss but he played well um, and then in the game after that against Brooklyn over the weekend, not a great game either, right? Another inefficient type of game. So how Jimmy Butler has responded, I would say is a little mixed right now, but I would say it's also a little, it, it falls short of what you expect your best player to do. And, and in these losses too, I, th- I think some of the context really does matter in, in how bad some of these losses have been, just because you look at the teams and the circumstances of the losses, right? Again, the Sixers without their two best players, the Warriors without their trio out there, and then against the Knicks, who aren't even in the playoff picture at this point. So how concerning should this kind of series of losses be for you know the Miami Heat, or is it maybe just a matter of fact where it's just, you know, this is a Heat team that's kind of just maybe ready to just get into the playoffs and get to that next level and be done with the regular season. I think it's a little concerning in that you've lost your place in the standings, right? As you and I are talking here, they're percentage points behind Philadelphia for first place in the East. But basically, like, I know it's halftime between Philadelphia and Phoenix right now, so that could change. But it's within they're within a half game of dropping down to fourth, right? Like, this was a period where, okay, you're getting Philly resting their best players, you're getting Golden State resting their top players. You're getting like kind of what was the advantageous schedule this last week where you should have been padding your lead for first place, not dropping and and kind of getting into this mix with Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami now, um, all sort of in that same sort of mix for, for the first place in the Eastern Conference. So, yeah, this this was a team a week ago that and Boston I should say this was a team a week ago that seemed just like on their path to cruising maybe to to number 1 in the Eastern Conference and now that's a real question and I think that for this heat team there was real value in having home court advantage in that number 1 seed right and now um you're not sure that you're going to have that and and so you have that and you have the fact that well there it, it appears that they're nursing some injuries right Jimmy Butler's been dealing with this ankle thing for a couple weeks now Caleb Martin has been in and out of the lineup Tyler Hero has been in and out of the lineup uh, PJ Tucker has been nursing an, a, a knee injury. So you wonder if it's uh, the injuries that have been leading to them, leading them to these disappointing losses. And if that's the case, well, well, that, that is a concern, right? Going into the playoffs, because you'd prefer obviously to be healthy and they're not. I think, right, health is obviously the number one goal for almost every team at this point in the season. Yeah. Most teams are dealing with some nagging injuries here and there. But even besides that point, I think there's, been a bit of a concerning trend when you look at the heat and where they're at just as far as their offensive like late game execution and when you look at their their stats as far as their clutch time execution this season they are a bottom five team like along you know downward there with the likes of like the Detroit Pistons and the Indiana Pacers and some other teams that you wouldn't exactly expect to be in the same company as a team that is at the top of their respective conference how concerning are those issues and the just the late game execution from this team It is a concern, but I don't think it should be surprising either because this isn't a team that has that bona fide scoring option, right? This isn't a team that – like Brooklyn's got a ton of issues. One of the the issues that they don't have is who we given the ball to in the last two minutes of a tight game, right? Like they have a Kevin Durant. Milwaukee has a Giannis. The Sixers have Joel Embiid and now James Harden. Like they know who they're giving the ball to, but Jimmy Butler is their best player. He isn't really that kind of guy, right? 
he's not the kind of guy that you just give the ball to at the end of the game and can go get you a bucket. He there are like he did that in the bubble, and that's one of the reasons why Miami got as far as they did going to the finals. Um, but that not that that's not necessarily his game for for most of his career. And so you've got this interesting crossroads that I think Eric Spolstra is at right now. Jimmy Butler, like I said, obviously your top player, the alpha in that locker room. You In the NBA, the way this works is that you give a certain amount of respect to that player. If you want the ball at the end of the game, it's yours. Take the rock, go get us a bucket. He's probably not the best option. In fact, the best option might be a 22-year-old named Tyler Hero. And when you start thinking about the way that the the locker room dynamics work, and I'm not saying that like the Heat, they would tell you have a really good locker room dynamic, and I do think that there's mutual respect there. It's a little different when you're talking about the final shot in the game, right? Like Jimmy Butler's still the dude that takes technicals for this team, right? He's a fine free throw shooter, but like that, that just sort of speaks to who the alpha in that on that group is. And I wonder if they should start giving that rock to Tyler Hero at the end of the games because he is better at just creating his own shot off the dribble and just making things happen in a way that like Jimmy Butler, I think is a superior player, but when it comes to just that thing, I think Tyler hero is better, but the heat overall are so good in the rest of the game at ball movement, driving, cutting, screening, getting open shots. Um, That's not necessary. And so the offense is really good in those instances for, I don't know, 95% of the game. The half court has been a little bit of a drag. Um, They need to get out and transition and they need their defense to create offense for them. And that's going to be the same late in games, too, because I just don't know that you can, at this point in the season, start, just kind of revamp and say, you know what, Jimmy, you're not getting the, the ball anymore in the last two minutes. We're giving it to Tyler Hero now. I think they got to try to figure out how to bottle what it is that they do for the rest of the game uh, at the end of these games, too. Obviously, much easier said than done, but it does start on the defensive end. And that's really been the part, to me, watching this team on a day-to-day basis, that's been slipping recently. It's not necessarily the offense that I'm concerned about, because that's been there, right? It's the defense that has slipped, and it's the defense that has created so much offense for them. So how did the Miami Heat get back on track from here? It's get back to their roots, get back to that you know Miami Heat level of defense that they've been known for, right? Yeah, I think part of it is what I said before, the, the injuries uh, to your best defensive players. Like I said, Caleb Martin, P.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler. Like Those are not just – those are your best perimeter defenders and also the guys who are creating so many turnovers for you. And when you're just a little hobbled and you're not jumping those passing lanes – with the same amount of intensity and the same amount of quickness, and you're not creating turnovers in that same way, well, now you're not getting as much offense out of that either. Um, and so I think that's part of it. Kyle Lowry was asked about this at, at, at the end of that Brooklyn Nets loss on Saturday night, and he said they're just not decisive on defense, which I thought was a really interesting word. Um, it's not necessarily a word that I've heard very often, but uh, it, it, th- what that says is that this is also a team that's working in new players like Victor Oladipo and Markeith Morris into the rotation. And maybe there's a little bit of a hesitation of how do we fit in? How are all these guys working together defensively? How is it that we're going to try to get these guys the minutes they need to ramp up to the postseason, but also doing what it is that got us to where we are, which is for most of the, for the most part, number one seed in the Eastern conference. So I think it's just getting back to basics, focusing in on defense, hopefully getting some guys healthy so that they could, play at, you know, 100% of what they could do um, and just sort of – and not trying to take uh, <clears throat> shortcuts out of it, right? Just – it's just, okay, like it's the end of the year. We get it. You're ready for the playoffs. Maybe there's some malaise factoring in here too, but it's just – it's going to be about just focusing in on defense and knowing where your bread is buttered, and that's been where it has been for the Heat. Can the Miami Heat get back to basics? Who should be taking the final shot for this Miami Heat team? Is it – Potentially going to be Tyler Harrow down the line. You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Heat. Wes, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me.
Thanks, Jackson. Coming up, Chris Paul back in the Suns lineup. Phoenix taking care of business against the opposite one-seeded Philadelphia 76ers. But first, message from our friends over at NBA Top Shot because NBA Top Shot is the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. Connect with a community of hundreds of thousands of NBA fans as a natural progression of fantasy sports, a way to upgrade your experience as an NBA fan. This is the future of what being an NBA fan looks like because it's part trading card, part stock market, part fantasy sports, part loyalty program even because last season... Top Shot flew out fans to Game 5 of the NBA Finals, believe it or not. Investors currently include Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant. Basically, you know, people are, have this concern, right? And I, I used to be one of them as far as, like, why buy a highlight when you can just watch it on YouTube or have, like, the clip on your phone, you know, and, and watch it for free. It's not just about watching the highlight. It's about having ownership of that moment in what's essentially kind of owning a bit of the stock market for what are some of the NBA's greatest highlights. It's top shot moments basically can get you access to exclusive events can be used in fantasy mini games on a regular basis. There's no limit to what can be done with top shot and being a part of the community is probably one of the coolest things about being involved with NBA Top Shot. It's the future of being an NBA fan, officially licensed rare NFTs of the greatest moments from NBA history. Sign up today at lockedon.nbatopshot.com. And another message from our friends over at rockauto.com because with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's basically impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you would need. Why endure the often pointless and sometimes intimidating questioning like, is your car an LX or an EX? And you got to wait while somebody's trying to track down parts in store when they're never in store. They're just going online to see if they're, you know, how long it's going to take to order them. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend up to 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Here's a quick example. A Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store, where it's only $216 from Rock Auto. You're going to save a lot of money right there. Rock Auto, best of all, Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. The prices are always reliably low for every single customer. And they've got everything you could possibly need from Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even brand new carpet. So go check out their super easy to use website. It's so easy to navigate and you can find whatever you need for your auto parts solutions. And here's a really important part. When you're there, when you're getting ready to check out on the website, be sure to write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Be sure to visit rockauto.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns. You can follow on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Brendan, two teams entered as the number one seeds in their respective conferences, but only one left still being the number one seed between this heavyweight bout from the Philadelphia 76ers and the Phoenix Suns. This was a really entertaining game a potential finals preview if you will and i think if you walk away you've got to be pretty encouraged if you're a suns fan absolutely you see james harden with his uh you know signature two for 11 stat line 
you have 40 points for the Sixers in the second half and vintage Chris Paul, Devin Booker performances. I mean, really just a normal routine Suns win. And look, the Sixers gave them, and they don't have, nobody has an answer for Joel Embiid, 37 points for him, but the Suns had an answer for just about everything else. And the end result is a double digit win, which has been the result a lot of nights this year. Yeah, the Suns now riding uh, a, a nice eight-game winning streak, continuing their winning ways as they've done pretty much all season. But in this game specifically, you mentioned that giving up you know 39 points in the first quarter and then holding the 76ers to just 40 total in the second half. I want to give you a chance to highlight and sh- you know shine a little bit of light on maybe some of the guys who don't get the credit that they deserve for being so versatile on the defensive end. And that is the combination of defenders in Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, and Torrey Craig, just watching those guys take turns throughout this game, shutting down James Harden, making life difficult for him, making life difficult for Tyrese Maxey, just the versatility of those guys. They're kind of what makes the Suns defense tick. Yeah, I mean, you named all the players. I actually, I don't know if he gets enough shine or not. I, I, I think he's one of the better coaches in the NBA, but I'll take the opportunity to give a little bit of credit to Monty Williams. What really stood out to me, watching the Suns beat the Sixers tonight was something that is their most games, especially big matchups for the Suns, which is that they are able to execute a game plan almost to perfection on very little notice. I mean, they have playoff level game plans for specific players and specific teams that are way more complicated than you'll see most teams try to even bother with. They were doubling Joel Embiid a lot tonight, but only in specific spots. So when he was close to the basket around that square area on either side of the post, they would double him. But then even within that, it was only late in the clock. So they had very specific rules. They went to a zone defense pretty um, frequently, but also mixed it up pretty randomly. And they were able to just switch that on. And then of course, like you just mentioned with when it comes to Harden and keeping him in check, they were switching different players onto him. They were going you know, over screens, under screens, they were playing him physically, they were trying not to foul him and against great players against great teams, you just have to mix it up. And so for them to be able to come out and be ready to do that and execute it at such a high level, I think actually, to me, the defensive MVP might be the coaching staff led by Monty Williams tonight more than any one player. Not only the defense in this one, but second game back for Chris Paul after his extended absence. Not like the Suns really missed a beat without Chris Paul, but having him back in the lineup is always a great thing, right? Absolutely. Plus 25, team high tonight. So you can tell when he's out there, things are still always going to keep going at, a, at an extremely high level. And what really stood out, I mean, it ne- it shouldn't have necessarily gotten to crunch time, the or to clutch time, which is five points within the last five minutes of a game, but it did. And that's when Chris Paul has really been the, the, the head of the snake for this Suns team. And he was again tonight, just getting to the mid range jumper, getting shots for, for other players. And it's, it's pretty incredible. The Sixers were obviously as they do dropping deep in the pick and roll defense, having Joel Embiid hover around that, you know, free throw line and below type of area protecting the rim. Chris Paul is happy to take advantage of that, get to that mid-range jumper and and nail it more often than not. What's just crazy watching that happen, though, is A, the injury like you just mentioned. You'd think that would be hampering him more than it did considering he's back early. But then on top of that, he's 
making that jumper in some cases over the outstretched arms of seven foot plus Joel Embiid, it really does not matter what that defensive look is. If you're going to drop, he's going to take that jumper and it's most likely going to go in. And the Sixers just didn't have enough of an answer for that. And as we talked about with the defense, the Suns kept them in check and that's all you need. That's the recipe for a double digit win. Been doing it for the better part of the last decade or so. Chris Paul hitting that that sweet mid-range jumper. And you mentioned the the clutch statistics for this Phoenix Suns team or just how they performed in, in clutch moments. This Phoenix Suns team is a ridiculous 31-6 and six in clutch time games this season. That is an absurd number. The next closest team happens to be the Washington Wizards at 25-15, and 15, which I guess that doesn't exactly paint that as like a super like luxurious stat, but... When you consider just how dominant the Suns are in the tail end stretches of these games, the combination of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, that tandem duo to be able to have, you know, maybe one night it's going to be Chris Paul taking the shot or Booker taking the shot. That is just, that's the duo that gets it done. And in this, I do, we, we do have to talk about Devin Booker a little bit here because just another routine night at the office for, for Devin Booker, a 35 per, you know, 35 point outing, 13 of 22 shooting. I want you to fill in the blank here for me, Brendan. Devin Booker is the number blank shooting guard in the NBA. Well, it has to be him or the guy he was matched up against on the other side of the floor tonight, right? I mean, those are the two premier two guards. I mean, I know positions are somewhat silly in, in this day and age. I don't know who people consider a two guard versus a forward versus a point guard, but I think it's Booker or it's Harden. And I have a hard time not leaning Booker or how they're playing right now. I just think the consistency, the two-way play, and the, I guess, toughness, the 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 uh, consistency, toughness, those are kind of the same thing that you just feel like when Booker goes out there lately, especially since the All-Star break, a lot of that was without Chris Paul, and he hasn't lost a beat when Chris Paul has been back the past two games. You just feel like you're going to get somebody who's going to because this is always the thing, right? Great players. There's a ton of very skilled players in the NBA, but I think what really starts to be that leap, that jump, what puts somebody in the upper echelon of, of NBA players, of basketball players, whatever they might be, is that you are incredibly talented. You can do a ton of things on the floor. You have all the skill in the world, but you also bring it and play hard every single second of every single game. And I'll be honest, I don't think Booker fit into that up until this season and up until especially I would say since about January 1st and the edge that he brings to this team combined with all those skills we already know him to have and he's he's limited his mistakes this season he's below a 10% turnover rate and he had never been below I think 12 or 13 in his career so he's just completely limiting how often he's he's giving the ball up and, and allowing other teams to take advantage you put all that together and I, I probably lean him I, I just think there's a ton of talent at the point guard spot. All NBA is another debate because he's going up against those guys. But if we're just saying who is a two guard in the NBA, it's probably Booker or Harden. And I think track record recently shows you you got to lean hard. You got to lean Booker. I'm almost 40 and slip, I guess. Booker. <laughs> Booker is my answer. There we go. You know, and Brendan, just to cap it all off here, is it is it a little crazy to think that the Suns are going to finish with the best record in the association this year? and have been utterly dominant all season. And yet no all-star starters Booker, not really in the MVP conversation, possibly might miss out on first team, all NBA, depending on where the voters decide to allocate their ballots. I, I mean, 
this Suns team doesn't really feel like it's get, it gets the recognition that it truly should deserve for being as dominant as they've been this entire year. I think that the dominance and the level of how far ahead of everybody else that they are has actually hurt them. And I think you see that with past teams, whether it may be the Warriors, although those Steph and KD were very clearly superstar level players before they ever partnered up. So I don't think that they struggled with that same perception. The Spurs before that, we've seen this before. And I think the Suns got a a ton of national TV games this year. They obviously get talked about quite a bit. That's not a problem anymore. But I do think we have this thing where when, you know, John Morant and the Grizzlies go up against the Warriors with the two seed on the line, like, okay, the Grizzlies can jump up, get the two seed if they win, or they'll get a lot closer if they can go out and win this game. That feels like more of a moment, right? Than something like the Suns, as we just got done talking about, going out and just beating the socks off of the Sixers in the second half of a pretty meaningful game between two top seeds. That feels expected. That feels normal. And so I think that is part of why they have suffered a little bit. I also think we don't, as a national, like just basketball fans outside of Phoenix, I don't know if we feel that attachment to these guys because they just jumped so many levels. We didn't see, oh, the first round exit and then the second round exit, and now they're here. It just happened overnight. And I think that that middle ta- that middle ground is often where you see people get awarded. Monty Williams, coach of the year, is always the team that improves the most. Well, he didn't get it last year. Does that mean he never gets it again because they'll never have that big improvement again? Or you know, these other subsidiary awards beneath that. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm obviously rooting for the best team, the best team all year to be rewarded and obviously covering these guys. I want them to, to be respected and appreciated, but it is very bizarre. And um, I, I think winning is, is all you can do. A title cures a lot of that, but it's strange. I mean, it's, it's been the topic of conversation here. You're saying he's not in the MVP conversation. I think Suns fans might already have their pitchforks out to be completely honest with you. But uh, yeah, I I think that they will be well represented, probably not enough to satisfy Suns fans. And uh, I don't have a great answer for you. I think it's just uh, a little bit of a, of a strange way that we talk about this stuff and getting very excited about the new and the fresh and the interesting rather than the great, unfortunately. Well, hey, even if the Suns miss out on some of these, you know, regular season awards, they're focused on the big award, which is that trophy, the Larry O'Brien at the end of it all, trying to make another return to the NBA Finals. And you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Suns. Brendan, always appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thank you. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe, all of that. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.